She, uh, she's not even looking at me right now. She's ignoring me back there. But she looked at me this morning. She said, are you really going to wear that to church? And not that she dislikes mustaches in general. She just doesn't like them on me. Well, and I'll tell you the kind of guy I am. For like four years straight, every couple nights, I would switch sides of the bed just to annoy her. And uh, I, I always, no, that's my side. What do you mean? I always sleep on the south side of the bed. What do you mean? And um, so that's the kind of guy that I am. So uh, I probably won't have it next week. It'll probably be back to bare face for a little while. But that's a big I love you, hun. <laughs> um, a couple things I want to touch on. Um, first, um, how many of you guys are not receiving emails from the church office? A couple of you guys. Um, make sure and see Jen afterwards. Because as you see, we're not doing bulletins, and all of the information with the, um, with the online stuff we're doing, the men's ministry, the women's ministry, the, uh, the children's ministry stuff, the youth ministry, all of that is, is online, and the links to all that is, are in the email. So if you're not getting that, you're missing a large part of what's going on during the week. So make sure and touch base with Jen on that. And then second, um, just something for you guys to pray about. Our church in Belize, the church that I used to pastor and that we support, um, this past week, somebody lit the van on fire. And um, right next to Kenny's house and almost burned his house up, kind of scorched his house, burned up the uh, van. It had a couple of propane tanks in it, so it was kind of sketchy. But um, I know that his wife in particular is kind of, kind of afraid. I mean, because it was, it was arson, it wasn't just like, wiring that caught on fire or something. So uh, so she's on edge. So just be praying for um, Port Loyal Calvary Chapel, that the Lord would be with them, and Pastor Kenny and his family would be safe. Um, so I think that's it as far as announcements. Let's stand together and pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we, number one, we just thank you that we can be here. We thank you that we have the opportunity to gather in your name, Lord, and, and just to celebrate you and to hear from your spirit. And we pray that as we continue in Acts chapter 3 this morning, that you would, you would just speak to our hearts, that you would bring conviction where conviction is needed, Lord, and encouragement and comfort and whatever it is that each one of us individually needs, Lord, that you would just, you would sustain us, Lord that you would that you would be our God and that we would be your people. We ask that in your name. Amen. So last week, as we opened up Acts chapter 3, we, um, we saw Peter and John sort of beginning to emerge as the leaders of this of this new movement. And we really see them begin to develop as, as the leaders of the early church. And as we noted last week, this um, the church at this point, it really was a, a Jewish movement. At this point, all of the believers were Jews, and they didn't really see themselves as separate from Judaism. I think that they, they, they sort of saw themselves as the, sort of the, the natural conclusion 
of, the, of, of Judaism. They saw themselves as the natural conclusion of the Old Testament. They saw faith in Jesus Christ as the completion of the Old Testament law, as the, the fulfillment of the righteous requirements of the law. And so, remember Paul tells us that, that all the regulations in the Old Testament, you know, that, that law, he says it was like a, a tutor. It was like a schoolmaster. He says that the whole purpose of the law was to show us that we're lawbreakers. The whole purpose of the law was to show us that we can't keep the law, that we need that we need a Savior, that we need a Messiah, that we need someone to stand in the gap. And so the law reveals our need, and it prepares us for the coming of the Messiah. And so we no longer have to follow all those Old Testament rules and regulations because Jesus completed the law. So if you're here this morning and you're wondering why we're not sacrificing turtle doves or the bulls of, of or the blood of bulls and goats, that's, that's why, right? Jesus fulfilled the law. We're no longer required to keep that. But the early church, they, they didn't continue in the sacrifices, and then they saw Christ as the completion of that. They still went to the temple. They still went to the temple prayer meetings. They still worshipped at their lo local synagogues. They, they still took part in, in Jewish life. And at this point, the people aren't against the church yet. The, the, the Jewish leaders haven't turned on the church. They're not persecuting them yet. And later on in the chapter, we see that begin to start. But here in this setting, we find these two leaders, Peter and John, heading into the temple to worship. And remember last week, they encountered this, this man who was, who was lame from birth and who was there begging at the temple. And remember, it says that Peter and John looked at him intently. And Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give unto thee, arise and walk. And remember, we saw this man was, was completely healed. And we find him jumping and leaping and, and praising God. And this was the setting where we left off in verse 11. There's this big commotion. People are realizing that this was the crippled beggar. And they'd seen him there for years. And now he's, he's run, running and jumping. And so this, this crowd begins to gather. And the people are amazed. And they're saying, you know, how can these things be? We know this guy. We've seen him for years. We know these guys, Peter and John. They've been following that Jesus character. What's going on? And so here in verse 12, we pick up the text. And it says, When Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. So, Peter here, sees this opportunity, and he stands up, and he begins to teach. And when I get up here and teach on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights, it's sort of the, the culmination of many hours of, of, of Bible study, you know, and, 
and breaking the text down into sections and, and looking for themes and, and applying proper biblical hermeneutics and, and thinking about sermon illustrations, thinking about supporting scriptures, maybe digging into the original languages a little bit. And, and that's pretty typical for most pastors and Bible teachers. You know, we all sort of have our own system, but it, it's basically the same. And in fact, I suspect that Peter probably did that as he was, as we saw earlier in Acts, that he was preparing Bible studies. But this thing here, he's at the temple, and the Lord moves, and this guy gets healed, and this crowd gathers, and Peter, being led by the Spirit, he sees this opportunity for ministry. And just like we saw at Pentecost a few weeks ago, he just stands up and begins to teach. No iPad, no notes, no sermon preparation. He just stands up and begins to share what's in his heart. He begins to share what he already had inside of him. He begins to share some of the things that he's been meditating on and thinking about. And as we pointed out before, it was possible for him to do this because he already had the Word of God hidden away inside. He was always in the Word. He was in prayer. He was studying. And so when the opportunity arose, he was ready. The... Uh, Famed Roman philosopher Seneca said this, Luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. And I think it's sort of the same thing here. In Peter's life, preparation met opportunity, and amazing things happened, and the Lord moved. It happened because speed, Peter was, was ready spiritually. And not in the sense that he already had a sermon prepared, but he was ready in the sense that he was ready to serve God. His heart was right towards the Lord. He had the word of God hidden away in his heart, and he was walking in the spirit. Remember, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Now, it's a funny thing. If you, um, if you follow combat sports at all, if you watch, you know, collegiate wrestling or, or boxing or UFC or, or any of those things, you know, when, when those fighters come out, except for maybe the heavyweights, the fighters come out, you know, and they've got abs, they've got abs on top of their abs, and their biceps have biceps, and they're just, they're jacked. But you see those same guys in the off-season when they're not cutting weight, when they're not in training, when they're, when they're not in fight camp, you know, they've got little COVID-19 bellies, and they're eating pizza and ice cream and Slim Jims all day long. You know, and, and there, there's a difference between the on-season and the off-season for them. And so Paul tells Timothy, he says, listen, we need... To stay in shape spiritually. He says, in, in, in the Christian life, there's, there's no off season. We don't know when an opportunity to serve the Lord might pop up. So he says, we need to be ready all the time. And, and here's the thing. If an opportunity to serve the Lord pops up, and you've been out partying all weekend, 
and you've been out doing things you shouldn't be doing, and if, if you're just getting your belt latched back up after sleeping around and, and all these things, you're not in the right place to be used by God. Paul says this. He says that we need to be ready all the time. We need to be in this perpetual state of readiness to serve the Lord. Peter later in his uh, first epistle to the church, he says in chapter 5, verse 8, he says, be sober, be vigilant. And in that context, he's talking about because we have an enemy who's attacking us. But it's the same thing here. We need to be sober. We need to be vigilant. We need to be ready. We need to always be ready to be used by God. Because when preparation meets opportunity, great things will happen. Peter stands up and he seizes the moment here. He addresses the crowd. And he says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Peter says, why are you guys so shocked by this? Don't you guys expect to see God work? Did you guys see all that Jesus did while he was here? Don't you guys read the scriptures? He says, why are you guys looking at me? He says, I didn't do it. It wasn't because I'm such a godly man. It wasn't my power that healed this guy. It was God. He says, this was a work of the Lord. Now, if I was out at Fred Meyer, and there was a homeless guy who was crippled, and I prayed for him, all of a sudden he's up dancing around, doing the moonwalk. That's going to be on YouTube in about four minutes, right? And everybody's going to be, ooh, look at what happened, and coming to do interviews, and for long, I'll be doing seminars on, on how to heal people, and I, I, that's kind of what we see happen so often. The Lord does miraculous things, and his servants begin to take credit for what he did. They begin to take the glory that belongs to the Lord. And you know, well, the Lord did it technically, but I played a big role in it. The Lord did it, but it was mostly in, it was due to my godliness and my righteousness. You know, and, and, and it becomes this thing of, look at me, pay attention to me, send me in your checks. And, and it's kind of like this. If, if you're driving down the road and see, you see your friend and he's, he's out of gas and, and you happen to have a gas can in your car and you've got a gallon of gas in a funnel, you know, you get it out there and you stick the funnel in and you pour the gas in, no one says, wow, that is an amazing funnel. It, it, nobody calls their friends over, hey, check out this funnel. You ever seen a funnel this good? Do you see the way the gas just flows right through it? No, that doesn't happen, does it? The funnel isn't even a part of the conversation. And that is how servants of God should be. That we're not even part of the conversation. It's not about us. It's not about the pastors and the preachers and, and personalities. It's not about the servants of God. All of us, we're just the funnel that the Lord uses. It's him who deserves all of the glory and all of the credit. 
And each one of us, as, as we serve the Lord and he begins to use us, we need to be careful of that. Not to touch the Lord's glory. Not to start to receive just a little bit of the praise that belongs to the Lord. So um, that's verse 12, one verse so far. We have 14 more to go. Verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. So Peter says, look, it wasn't me who did this. It was the God of our ancestors. It was the God that you all know and love. It was God the Father who brought glory to God the Son through this. And he goes on and he says, by the way, this was Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. So Peter says, you guys are amazed at what happened? Why? Remember, Jesus was here doing these same things. You remember him, the, the holy and righteous one? The, the, the one, the Messiah that you guys have been waiting for. You handed him over to be brutally murdered by the Romans. You remember that guy? The one that you rejected before Pilate. And he goes on in verse 15, just in case he wasn't being clear enough. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. So Peter says, look, you killed the author of life. You murdered God the Son. You killed the only begotten of the Father. But God raised him from the dead. And by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus had made the man who has, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. It's no secret that there are a lot of different faith systems in the world. I mean, all of us could name more than we can count on our fingers and toes, right? You know, Islam, Buddhism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Baha'i, all these different faith systems. And, and there's a lot of people within these different faith systems who are, who are nice people and who are very sincere in their faith. And they have great faith. And they're still on the path towards hell. And they're still on the path towards eternal damnation. Listen, and this, this is so important for us to understand. It's not our faith that saves us. It's the object of our faith that saves us. And I hope you can understand that and see the difference. I heard someone share this analogy once. If you're out swimming and you start to drown and you're going under, you know, and you're, you're dog paddling back up to the surface and you yell out, help, help, throw me that giant rock. No matter how hard you believe, no matter how sincere you are, no matter how much faith you have, that that rock is going to save you, it never will. 
it's going to sink you every time. And the tighter you grip it, the tighter you hold it, the quicker it's going to drag you down. Well, I believe that it's going to save me. So? It doesn't matter how strongly you believe in something if your faith is misplaced. It isn't our great faith that saves us from our sins. It's the greatness of the object of our faith that saves us from our sins. And, and, I, and I hope you understand what I'm saying. We're saved because Jesus is great. Because the one that we put our faith in is great. And so Peter here, he says, it was through the name of Jesus that this man was healed. And so just to be clear here, it's not as though the name of Jesus is magical. Right? It's not as though if you click your heels together three times and say, Jesus, 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 all your troubles are going to go away. And that's not what Peter is saying. It's kind of more like this. You know, you're watching movies. Somebody will show up. You don't want to be a middle e mid, uh, medieval movie or something, and somebody's pounding on the, on the gate, and they say, open up in the name of the king. Right? What they're saying is, open up by the power and authority of the king. And that's the same thing here. It's not that the name of Jesus has some magical powers. Not abracadabra, alakazam, Jesus. It's through the power and authority of the name of Jesus that this man was healed. And Peter here, he doesn't hold back. He, he, he opens up on them and he points out their personal sin and guilt. Peter says, look, you guys did this. You guys put Jesus to death. You bear the responsibility. And, and you know, Peter... He's not winning a lot of friends in this, in this message that he's giving. Right? This is a situation where the people literally just killed Jesus. They could have easily turned on him as well. But he had a message from the Lord and, and he didn't care. He was going to give the message that the Holy Spirit had given him. And he says in verse 17, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as also did our rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Peter says, listen, guys. Listen, family. You put Jesus to death. You and your leaders had him crucified. He says, but I realize you didn't get the full significance of what you were doing. It was done in ignorance. And he says, God set this plan in motion long ago, from before the foundations of the earth, to redeem humanity through the death of his son. And we see this begin to unfold as early as Genesis chapter 3. Theologians refer to it as the, the proto-evangelum, the first time that we see the gospel. Remember in Genesis 3.15, it talks about how the serpent was going to bite the Messiah's heel. 
but the Messiah was going to crush the serpent's head. And we begin to see that unfold throughout the Old Testament, this idea of, of, a, of a suffering Messiah. And we see it in Psalm 22. We see it in, in Isaiah 41. We see it in Isaiah 52 and 53. We see it in Zechariah 12. We see it in a lot of other places how it talks about the Messiah was going to suffer and die on, on behalf of his people. He was going to die to redeem humanity from the consequences of their sin. Because it says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. So Peter here, he addresses the people. He reveals Jesus. He reveals the guilt of the people. And then he gives them an opportunity to repent. And I think that that's a very biblical blueprint for evangelism. I think that people need to understand their sin in order to understand their need for a Savior. And, you know, you may have heard an analogy like this before. But imagine this. Imagine four or five months ago, someone said, hey, there's an outbreak of a new virus in, in Wuhan. And this virus is called COVID-19. But don't worry, there's a vaccine for it. You say, oh, that's cool, I guess. But it doesn't really impact me. Right? It's impacting all these other people on the other side of the world. Now, fast forward five or six months later, you know, a couple million people have it. You go to the doctor, you're not feeling good, and you're one of the people that gets a serious case. And then the doctor says, well, I've got some bad news. You're probably going to die in a couple days. You need to get your affairs in order. You need to say your goodbyes. You need to call your pastor, say your prayers, update your will. And as he's finishing that up, imagine the, the nurse bursts in and she says, Hey, did you hear there's a, there's a new cure for COVID-19? You're going to be a lot more excited then than you were a few months before, right? Why? Because now you have a need for the cure. You recognize your need for the cure. This is the same thing with the gospel. You tell people, guess what? Jesus is the Savior. Jesus died for your sins. Oh, okay, that's, that's cool, I guess. But if you don't realize your need, then it's not that big of a deal. But when you realize how totally, utterly depraved you are, how wicked and sinful you are, that you stand guilty before the living God, and that there's an impending judgment, the cross all of a sudden is a lot more attractive, isn't it? Jesus all of a sudden is a lot more attractive, isn't he? I think that generally speaking, it's a mistake to share the gospel without talking about sin first. And there are different instances. 
There's instances where people already understand their sin and they're already broken. And you don't need to get out the law and, and beat them up and hammer that into them. But generally speaking, people need to understand sin before they can appreciate salvation. So Peter says, you need to repent. Turn away from your sin. Turn towards God. And he says, your sins will be wiped away in the NLT. He says, your sins will be blotted out. Remember John says, 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. He says, the old has passed away and all things become new. Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart in the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. I love what Peter says here, the wording. He says, repent so that your sins may be blotted out. So they'll be erased. They'll be wiped away. Your sins are removed. That, that stain is clean. I, I like what the psalmist says. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions. And Peter goes on here in verse 20, and he says, So that times of may refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. It's kind of weird grammar there a little bit. Kind of a weird sentence structure the way he's saying this. But what he's saying is this. There are a lot of people in this life who are just weary. They're tired. They're worn out. There are a lot of people who are stressed and, and they just don't know what the future holds. There are a lot of people in this life who have been carrying the burden of sin for so long. There's so many people who are just, who are at the end of themselves and they can't deal with it anymore. And, and you're seeing with all the stuff going on right now, statistically, suicide is just, it, it, it's skyrocketing. For some people, it seems like it's the only way out. People are, they're locked in, they're, they're, they're locked up, and people are feeling hopeless and, and helpless and cut off like there's there's no other options there's nothing left uh, they don't know they don't understand the hope that can be found with walking in Christ and here's the thing when we walk with the Lord our circumstances don't even have to change just being in the presence of the Lord it changes how we view our circumstances. Being in the presence of the Lord, it gives us a different perspective on life. It gives us hope and peace and comfort. Spending time with the Lord, Peter says, it brings refreshment to our spirits. So Peter says, look guys, repent. Be washed clean. And when we get right with the Lord, Times of refreshment will come. When we enter into the Lord's presence, we'll be refreshed, we'll be restored, we'll be renewed, we'll be able to, to experience that peace of God that surpasses all understanding. 
will be changed from the inside out. Our spirits will be restored. We'll be encouraged. We'll be strengthened. That's, that's good news, friends. And Peter says, look, you guys, you missed Jesus the first time around. He says, he was here, and you missed him. That ship has sailed. If you're, if you're still waiting for the Messiah, you're going to be real disappointed. So that, that train has already left the station. And Peter says, look, it's been foretold. He's coming back again. At the end of all things, he says there's going to be the restoration of all things. Jesus is going to return. He's going to judge the world. He's going to set up his kingdom where, where Jerusalem is going to be the capital. He's going, to, he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. But if you're waiting until then, it's too late. He says if you're waiting for the second coming, it's going to be too late for you. As the author of Hebrews says, nothing remains but a fearful expectation of judgment and the fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. That's rough, isn't it? Fearful expectation of judgment and fury of fire. Verse 22. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. So in the mind of the Hebrew, Moses, right, he, he was a big deal. He was kind of the, the, the star of the Old Testament, right? Moses was the goat. He's the greatest of all time. He's, he's the Hall of Famer, right? He's, he's the giver of the law. He was the prophet. He led the people out of Egypt. He was sort of a, a, a type of, a, of the Messiah, a savior in a sort of a figurative sense. He was victorious over the armies of Egypt, right? Everybody wanted to be Moses in the school play. Everybody wanted to dress up like Moses for Halloween. Now, before you email me, I know there wasn't really Halloween back then. It was, I'm speaking proverbially. But Moses was the guy. And so Peter is quoting Moses. He says, look what Moses said. And he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. And basically Moses is saying, look, after I'm gone, another prophet like me will arise. But this one, he's the real Messiah, not just the example of one. And he's going to bring the new covenant. Listen to him. And I like how the NLT translates the next part. Anyone who will not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from God's people. Anyone who won't listen to the Messiah will be cut off from God's people. Peter says, if you reject Christ, you will be cut off from the people of God. That's very clear, isn't it? So many people, as we talked about earlier, say something like, you know, if, if you just believe in God, it doesn't matter what your religion is. 
as long as you're sincere. And it's simply not true. As we said a few minutes ago, your faith and your sincerity don't save you. It's the object of your faith that saves you. And if your faith is in the wrong object, you're not saved. I think faith in the wrong thing is worse than no faith at all. Because at least if you don't have any faith, you realize it. You don't realize it if your faith is in the wrong thing. False faith gives a, a false sense of security. And so Peter here, quoting Moses, he says, Believe in the Messiah, or you will be cut off from God's people. Christianity is very exclusive. Biblical Christianity is very exclusive. And it's intended to be that way. It's exclusive in, in that it's the only way to get there. Right? Jesus is very clear. He says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except by me. So it's very exclusive in that way. But it's very inclusive that the gospel is open to everyone. And whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. But it's clear that there's one God and there's one way to heaven. And you know what? You might not like it. Oh, whoa. God makes the rules, not you. God's God, not you. He's the one who created us. He died in our place to save us of our sins. He is the final judge. He gets to make the rules. And we can stand down here on this earth that he created, and we can shake our tiny fist towards heaven all we want to. And it doesn't make a difference. He's God, and you're not, and I'm not. Verse 24. And all the prophets who have spoken, from Samuel and those who came after him, also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets, and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So Peter says, look, way back in the Old Testament, this was all laid out. He says, look at you guys. You're, you're the sons of the prophets. You're the descendants of the prophets. You're the descendants of Abraham. You guys know these things already. And when the Messiah came, he came to you first. He came to, to bless you and to give you an opportunity to repent and come back to the Lord. It went to the Jews first, but it's available to us also. Each one of us has that same opportunity. We have the same opportunity to see the great and wonderful things that the Lord has done. To, to realize our sin and to recognize our need for Jesus. And listen, I know that, that this morning, almost everybody here regularly goes to church. I know that you're Christians. But listen, Peter here, who's he speaking to? 
He's speaking to the Jews. He's speaking to the people of God. He's speaking to religious people. He's speaking to people who knew the Bible, who went to church, as it were. They went to synagogue. They went to the temple. They had everything lined up. They had all of their, 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 their ducks in a row in regards to religion. Good, moral people who, who tithed and who, who gave to the poor and did all these things. And they missed the boat completely when it came to Jesus. And we can come to church and we can be religious and we can be good people and still not be saved because we don't have a relationship with the Lord. We don't need church. Well, that's not when we need church. That's not what I'm saying. Come back next week. But church doesn't save us. Jesus saves us. We need Jesus to have our sins wiped away. We need Jesus to experience those times of refreshment. We need Jesus to enter heaven. We we're created for relationship with God. We were created to know Him. Remember Solomon in Ecclesiastes says that God has planted eternity in the human heart. Humanity, we were created for eternal things. We were created for spiritual things. And we will never find real lasting peace and joy and hope until those empty spots in our soul are filled with Jesus. Each one of us individually needs to come to Jesus and to turn from our sins and repent. And if you've never done that, do it. And if you've already done that, good. Now go well, tell other people about it. Right? Go share the gospel. Tell other people how they can have these times of refreshing. Share with other people how they can be forgiven and saved and come to the Lord. Get saved. Tell other people how to get saved. Right? That's what the Lord has for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord, and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy and your loving kindness, Lord. We thank you that you saved us, and we thank you that you've chosen us to be a part of your kingdom and to, to expand, your, expand your kingdom, Lord. And we pray that each one of us would just be faithful in fulfilling the calling that you have given us, Lord, that we would be messengers of the gospel. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, I'm not going to be on the side like we normally